This morning we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit and cultivating spiritual fruit in our lives. We are closing in on the end of our class on our, this uh, section on how to grow or spiritual disciplines. It was supposed to take 13 weeks. It has taken us 20 thus far. So, um, if you're wondering, we're going to be doing uh, the Gospel of John next, an exegetical study, verse by verse, slash, section by section, slash, whatever needs to be done for John for us to understand it. Um, And we'll also have a second class going, probably church history. So, um, I know where Jared will be. He'll be in church history. Um, but the, uh, the, the goal is to offer something kind of like this where it's uh, thematic in one way and then another to show a, a, have a more of an exegetical Bible study also. So we're going to have both, offer both. I don't know where that second class is going to be held, so bear with me. I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> um, or who is, who is even teaching it? So there's that. And Jared might be on tap a little bit more than he expects to be for teaching it. He's ready, yeah. Um, the, but today we're finishing, we're on week 11, or session 11, of cult, uh, how to grow, cultivating spiritual fruit. So I want to ask the question, just to open up the morning, what do I mean by spiritual fruit? What do you think I mean by spiritual fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. The of the spirit? That could be a good answer. So the class could hear. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think that's it. And uh, so this spiritual fruit is named in Galatians um, 5.20, what is it, 5.22.23? We're going to open up right there, actually. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 5. We're going to be in Galatians pretty much all morning. Very little jumping around, because the book of Galatians is such a clear, such a clear book on what it is that our lives should be, should look like as followers of Christ. So where do you think uh, this concept of spiritual fruit comes, comes from? Not just Galatians, but where do you think Paul is getting spiritual fruit? Nothing new is under the sun, but think about in your back of your what? From the law. From the law? Where, where exactly? You know? I am asking a different question. Anybody have any idea? What does Psalm 1 say? Stand in the way of sinners, sit. In the seat of scoffers, but his delight is the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, flowing water, right? Yes, yes. rivers, rivers that brings forth its fruit in its season. Fruit in its season. What brings about the fruit in its season? Being planted by the streams of flowing water, right? Being planted in a place that uh, God, or you know, is, is life-giving, and that life comes from God Himself, right? So we have 
uh, a precedent. Paul's not just getting this out of his out of the back of his head, and uh, the the spirit is not just giving him new revelation. But if you think about what Paul is think, talking about, he's talking about a Psalm one kind of Christian. A blessed man is one who has spiritual fruit. Okay, Galatians 5, 22 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, the, Paul's making the point, right, that if you are crucified, if, you've been, if you have been buried with Christ and raised to walk in new myths of life, that you have been brought from death to life, that there is something that's supposed to be happening in your life. There's a, a standard to look at and say, am I being a faithful Christian? Am I growing in love? Do I have joy? Lots of joyless Christians out there. Do I have peace in the midst of my trials? Do I have patience when it seems like I don't know where the end is? Am I kind in the midst of my trials? Am I good? Or do I have goodness coming out of me because of the goodness of God? Am I being faithful because I see what God is asking me to do? Is just be faithful. Am I gentle? Do I have self-control? See, these are, these are things that come out of the Christian naturally when we're meditating on the goodness of who God is found in his word. All right, so I want to start right, right at the top and say uh, the, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is not a new law. And the reason I say it that way is because Every Christian goes through moments where their sanctification is untenable, like where you just can't see it. You can't see yourself growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Maybe you even feel like you're taking a couple steps back over time. But what I'm talking about is not those moments, right? I'm talking about the progressive line of your life is aiming at being sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so the trend line is in this growing spiritual fruit. It's not the moment that you don't show love and you're not kind and you're not gentle and you don't have these particular aspects to your life. right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the line of the Christian's life is trending in, this, in the way of spiritual fruit. Okay? Does that make sense? So I'm saying it's not a law. This is not a new law. The law of Christ is loving, right? Loving God, loving neighbor. But this, these are indicators, indicators of that love for Christ growing in our hearts. Are there any questions about the basis for the fruit of the Spirit and what it is? Before we get a little bit deeper. No? Cool. I'm going to, just so you're aware, we're going to do an overview. If you look at your, if you look at your uh, notes, we're going to do an overview. And then we're going to talk about the Spirit within our... Um, Spirit in our lives and how he works and wills to grow us in the fruit of the Spirit. But then we're going to talk about each piece of the fruit of the Spirit over the next two weeks. We're going to talk about three portions of it. What, it, what If you look on the second page on love, it says, what love is not, okay, so we're going to dispel the rumor, 
what love isn't. Then we're going to say what love is. And then we're going to say how do we cultivate love in our lives. And we're going to do that for every fruit of the Spirit. So what joy is not, what joy is, and then how to cultivate joy in our lives. So this may take us more than two weeks. Like most things, it's not a quick process to learn um, how to cultivate anything. If you are a farmer, can you plant something in just any type of ground and watch it grow? You have to actually prepare the soil, right? You have to do hard work. You have to, if you have a big piece of open land and you've seen, uh, it, maybe you've never seen this, but uh, big tractors will take discs and they'll till up the land, right? They'll, they'll break up that farrow ground, that hard ground, the hard soil, a couple of times. It's not just once. It's not just overnight. It's like over a couple of weeks they'll integrate nutrients into the soil. They'll put in additives so that the plants can grow well, right? They're not just leaving it sandy soil. Because here in Florida, I don't know if you noticed this, it's hard to grow anything in this soil that lasts for any longer time than a couple days because it's sandy. Right? So it's got to be given good, hardy nutrients. Right? Good, hardy soil. That's why we do compost. That's why we do all these things. But the whole point of this, this exercise in the next two weeks at minimum is that it's going to be showing us what it takes to grow spiritual fruit. And that's not a quick process. Right? And so I just want to warn you ahead of time. We might be in this one for two weeks. And we might be in the next one for two weeks. But the whole point of that is so that we can grow, actually grow, not just have information dump in our lives. Okay? So, point number one, an overview of Galatians and Paul's approach to works. You see this on letter A. It says, Paul's message is based on the gospel's power to save from this present evil age. Paul's letter to the Galatians begins with a greeting. That is gospel-centered, and then immediately hits them with, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Right? Beautiful greeting, and then, bam! Who has bewitched you? He says, um, first, he mentions that he was sent by Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And then in 3 to 4, Paul declares grace and peace to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. This is the whole basis for the good news of the gospel, the whole basis for our sanctification, the whole basis for our deliverance. Talked about in verse 4 that Paul is able to write what follows in Galatians. Number 1 or letter B Justification is by faith in Jesus Christ, not works. Justification is by faith in Jesus Christ, not works. There is no other way to be saved but by faith in Jesus Christ. What are the five solas of the Reformation? Does anybody know? Can somebody give them to me? What's that? Faith alone. The sola scriptura, which is by scripture alone. What else? It, that by faith alone, in Christ alone. In Christ alone. What's the other one? Sola gratia, by grace alone. Soli deo gloria. Soli deo gloria. Conjugations matter. Uh, for the glory of God alone. Right? So by faith, 
and grace by the by faith in Jesus Christ, by the grace that He's given, according to the Word, we are saved by Christ alone for the glory of God alone. Okay, so listen, justification is by faith in Jesus Christ, not works. So when we look at the grounds for why we how we can truly be a Christian, we need to see what he says in Galatians 2.16. So somebody, somebody do me a favor, open up to Galatians 2.16 and read it nice and loud for us so that we might hear a very small portion of the gospel, but one is so encouraging. Yeah, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Yes, and then if you want to read Galatians 2.20, this is the point, right? That no one can be faith justified by works, but must be justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we get to Galatians 2.20 and 21. What does it say? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself to me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. It requires a pro- there's like a there's stuff that has to happen. Christ had to do, had to come, he had to die after living a perfect life, and for our sac- for, as our perfect sacrifice, he must then be raised to life so that we might be raised to life. And now, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We, we actually sing Galatians 2.20 from this version. And so if you're, if you're trying to memorize scripture, a great way to do it is go to the corner room and just look up all the scripture references they have. They're they're singing in in the ESV, so they're using the ESV and making their songs. But we sing this song for a purpose, right? Um, it's to remind ourselves that it's not by works, but by faith we have been justified, right? Faith in Christ Jesus by His grace alone. So, justification is by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. What do you think was going on in Galatia? In Galatia, that that he would have to say. Something so direct. Because he was there, right? He, he planted this church. He's, he's been, what, what do you think has gone on? That like he has to be, dedicated an entire letter to uh, straightening, out, straightening out their foolishness about justification. They were adding to the gospel. You don't think they were, they weren't taking, a, they weren't like saying, no, you don't have to do this. What do you think they were adding? Works. Works. What particular work were they saying? Circumcision, they were saying, the super apostles were saying, you've got to be one of us, a Jew, before. So you have to submit to the law of Moses to be justified by faith in Christ Jesus. And one of the main, um, one of the main arguments that he uses is, not even Abraham was justified by his works, but he was justified by his faith because he believed God. In his prophets, before circumcision was given. In fact, multiple chapters, multiple years before circumcision was even asked of him, he was counted as righteous because of his faith and what God had said. So, faith has to be the basis of our justification. There is no other way. Um, point number two: the role of the Holy Spirit. I have a question, and I want you to think about it before you answer. 
and unless you already have an answer, is, so now that we've been justified, we've been justified by our faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to use a big fat word, we'd call that monergistic salvation. God is the one who gave us the grace, regenerated our hearts, and saved us, and we responded. Right? We couldn't do anything by ourselves. In fact, every time we did, we, we worked, and we still dug our hole deeper. Right? But now the question is, is now that we have been justified, is sanctification monergistic by God alone or synergistic my, myself and the, like, cooperating with the Spirit at the same time? What do you think it is? Monergistic or synergistic? You think it's synergistic? Does anybody know what synergy means? Like, working together, right? Uh, what about monergistic? Anybody from monergistic? Sanctification. Oh, you were. I thought you were meaning asking for clarification on what word. Oh no, I know the work of one is exactly what it means. But so, so let me let me ask you this question: Who's the one that sanctifies us? God. How do we grow in sanctification? Through the Spirit. Think about Psalm one again. We talked about Psalm one at the beginning. What happens? The blessed man does what? He meditates on the law day and night. But he's like a tree planted by streams, flowing streams of water. Flowers and such. He has to be both, right? Synergistic, right? Um, Now, a lot of people would say, yes, it's monergistic uh, because God's the one that's doing it in you. You're right. He is the one doing it in you, but he's commanding you to do something. He's using means. Right? So you can't just sit on like a bump on the log, a bump on the log, and be like, I am being sanctified. Watch me grow. Right? It doesn't work that way. I will continue doing all of these things, and God will stop me when he wants to. Yes, and that's the free grace uh, nonsense, right? That I can continue to live the same way that I lived before I was saved, and God will forgive me. And well, God will stop me. One of the two. Sorry. Gotten getting a little animated. Um, but the the idea is that look, you have you have been given life to do a certain thing. Okay, so it's not your works that save you or justify you or even grow you by yourself. So if you were like, I've been reading my Bible and I feel like I'm not growing, the Spirit is I, I just don't know what's wrong. It's maybe because you're not being dependent on the Spirit, not because you don't have a bunch of head knowledge. Right? Your head and your heart have to be connected. And that is the Spirit working within you, willing within you. So, what is the role of the Spirit? And the question has to be, letter, letter B, well, why is it letter B? It should be letter A. Um, are you trying to attain your goal by human effort alone? It says, uh, Galatians 3, 2 to 3 says this, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So he's making the point that the Spirit saved you and continues to work in you and will in you. It's not like the Spirit saved you and now it's your job to do everything else. By the way, you can't do that. I don't know if you've tried, but it's impossible to do it all by yourself. You have to be reliant on the Spirit. If you do not rely on the Spirit, you will continue to spin your tires. You'll make progress, you'll think you're making progress, and then all of a sudden, one day, it'll all come out from under you because it was a facade, a house of cards that you made up for yourself. 
So Paul just Paul's straight with us and he says, um, don't sit back and be lazy, but meditate on the law day and night, right? So what is the goal? Letter C on your paper, but we all know it's B. Um, what is the goal that Paul is talking about in this verse? Um, some other letters of Paul's will help us even kind of bring this even out a little bit more. If somebody would bring, uh, open up to Philippians 3.10, and read 3, 10, and 11. That would be awesome. For Philippians. all who rely on, the, on works of the law are under a curse. Well, that was, that's Galatians. That's Galatians. What Philippians 3, 10. Philippians. I got it. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain in the resurrection from the See, in Philippians, thank you. In Philippians, Paul describes that his goal is the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Not by himself, not doing, not doing what he thinks is right by God, but trying to obtain this goal, this upward call of God in Jesus Christ. So, the upward call in Jesus Christ, or upward call of God in Jesus Christ is that he may gain Christ. What's, what is the like famous line in Philippians? To live is Christ. To die is gain, right? What's why, why would he say something like that? To live is Christ. To die is gain. Well, let's start with the back half. To die is to actually see Christ for who he is and, and fullness and be made like him. Finally, after all the struggle that he's had, right? But it's, it's, it's to live now is actually to live for Christ. You know, to preach his gospel, to give himself for the call that he has been um, given. So, letter C, or letter D, yeah, letter D, our upper call, is uh, the spiritual fruit, evidences his presence within us. We are now motivated by the relationship that we have with Christ. We're not trying to gain it. We're not trying to obtain it, right? We already have it. Christ has saved us, brought him into, in, into himself. We are his bride. We are protected by him. And so now we are being empowered to uh, empowered and motivated by our relationship with Christ alone. We are further motivated by God's promise that we are progressively changed from more into more and more into Christ's image. Image. See, like we can't we can't get this um, mixed up. Okay, so we love Jesus. Jesus uh, Jesus saves us. Right by His works, by His grace, and we, out of the love for Christ, then try to glorify Him. One of those things, one of those ways, is by working to grow the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to read this passage. I want you to listen because one of the things that Paul does a lot is he says in Colossians, "Take you know, put off then." Right, and then he names a whole bunch of sins that that qual- like disqualify you from the grace of God, or not the grace of God, but from salvation. And he says, "Put on then." Just a couple of verses later, right? And then he starts naming what sounds like spiritual fruit, guys. Uh, um, but it's things that we are to obtain and strive for. So let's hear the whole fruit of the spirit, the whole passage. It says Galatians five sixteen to twenty six. Would you? Follow along with me as I read. But I say, 
Walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the, the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Operative word, want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Right? Is that, the, that's, that means it's not an exclusive list. Right? Notice. And things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It means they're gone. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Hear what Paul is saying. The fruit of the Spirit is an image of a godly picture of manhood and womanhood. Even more so, it is the exact image that we're being grown up into, which is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is perfect in his love, perfect in his joy, perfect in his uh, peace, perfect in his gentleness, his kindness, patience, all those things. He's perfect in all of these places. And we're being grown up into Christ Jesus uh, during our life of sanctification. So, are there any questions before we move on and we discuss love? Okay, so what isn't love is the question. What love is not is letter A. And I want you to think about this with me for a second. What do you think, what does the world say is loving? Affirmation. Acceptance. Acceptance. For who I am, what I want to be at all times. What else? What is loving by the world's standards? A positive vibe. A positive vibe. Thank you. That's a very good way of putting it. What else here? Love is love. Love is love. That's a tautology, by the way. That's bad philosophical understanding of how things work. Can't find the word. Buy the word. Doesn't work that way. We learned that in kindergarten, guys. <laughs> what else? It's a feeling. Love's a feeling, right? More than a feeling. Boston wrote a great song about that, by the way. Um, what else? What is love? Love can be whatever you want it to be. <laughs> too, many, too many songs about love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm afraid to ask. So, so let, let's let's be honest. That love, what, what, love is not what the world thinks love love is. What's the like least loving loving thing that the world says about Christians? Like, um, Christians aren't loving because. Can you fill in that blank? Because you're judging me. 
That's a good one. What else? Better. I think intolerant. intolerant. It's funny because we actually made up tolerance. It's funny how that works. What else? Standard that's not relative. Yeah, these are things that we um, we are called uh, not loving for. So I want to I want to point out that love actually is. Uh, it cannot be defined other than what God has said it to be. And that's mostly because when we say God is love, we're actually predicating. You know, it's in, you have subject and predicate of a sentence, right? God is the subject. Is the verb. It's like descriptive. Um, I, there's an actual like word for it. I can't remember what from my head. But love is the predicate. In, he is love. It's, it's not like love can be apart from God. But that doesn't mean that he's only love. All right? It's a descriptive of all of who God is because God is also wrath. But that's the opposite side of his love, right? So you, he's loving for himself so much so that he has wrath against the things that are not of him, right? Sin, particularly. So what that boils down to is that we don't get to define love no. and then impose that on Praise God's love. Right. We have to judge our love. By God's love. It, it, and that's, I think that's where, we, where society's gone completely sideways. Is that love, because love, if you can define it any way you want to, means that love, now you can impose your definition of love on anybody else. By the way, definitions matter. That's part of our problem right now. Everybody's trying to define it in different ways, and we get so basic that we say love is love. And all we've done is committed like one of the worst kinds of... Um, uh, philosophical and logic. We have a problem of logical inconsistency and error um, when we define the word by the word. So I digress. So let's consider what love isn't. We've already done a lot of this already, but I want you to hear it in a consistent way. Love is not what our culture often defines it as tolerance or acceptance. Live and let live, even if the way that one chooses to live leads to eternal death. They would rather in fact, live in the way they want to, even though it leads to eternal death, because that doesn't matter for them. Love in this list, though, is not in isolation. It's actually both how we approach others and how we approach God, right? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second is like it, right? And so love is, is kind of a big deal. Um, in fact, it, it's such a big deal that we need to know what the defini definition is and keep it in our, um, our heads. Otherwise, we would often try to redefine it whenever it suits us. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 gives us that famous passage, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy or boast, is not arrogant, so on and so forth. Notice, he's defining love with what it isn't. Right? But he's also saying love is connected to all those other ways of life. Love is also kind. Kindness is an indication of love. Gentleness is an indication of love. In a lot of ways, love is the fountainhead for all the other fruits of the Spirit. Okay? I'm not making a, uh, I'm making a theological argument for it. And uh, <laughs> exegetically, you can see it at the beginning. Sometimes Paul writes in backwards order, so you have to be careful about that. But in this case, he's saying love is number one. And it 
kind of umbrellas the rest of them at the same time. Paul says that it's not envious. And that means can it, it can, this can also mean it is not jealous for what does not belong to you or not covetousness. So that sounds like the 10th commandment, right? Hmm. Second, love does not boast and isn't prideful. Do you boast in anything other than our Lord? That's the question. What kind of other things do you boast in? Do we boast in our, our intellectual abilities, our speed, our whatever it is, our ability to play, our ability to manage people, our ability to, you name it, are you boasting in it? And here's the deal, is Jesus being glorified in that question or in that answer? Third, love is not rude or impolite. And so you can ask yourself, according to these what it is not in 1 Corinthians, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. You can take these and kind of show, use them as a mirror. Okay, am I being arrogant, envious, boastful? Notice. And then we will tell you, you'll be able to see what love is not and how you are not being loving. It's a very helpful mirror. So let's consider now what love is. Point B. Positively, Herman Ritterbos has helpfully written that love is to be understood especially as the love for the brethren, the brothers. As the fruit of the Spirit, this love is entirely determined by the salvation granted in Christ. That is its motive, its intensity, and its object. There is no place in Scripture that this is easier to see than in 1 John 4, 7-21. So here's the deal. If you've never read through 1 John, I just want to challenge you to do that this afternoon. And, and not note what God, what he says about who is a Christian who isn't by their love for God and how their love is for one another. So it, just for uh, example, First John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Right, So love is an indicator of our knowledge, of our being connected to God in Christ Jesus. There's a whole bunch more there if you were to read through 12. But this part of the fruit of the Spirit is seen most clearly in our outward expression towards others. So while we might be cultivating these other spiritual fruit, it is first grounded in love for God and people, but it also is expressed in our, like, toward other people. Like These spiritual fruits are not in isolation. Can, here's the question. Can you be kind when no one else is around? Yes. Yeah, to who? Everybody else. But to be kind, no, when no one else is around. So the way you think of other people. Okay. Yeah, mentally, thoughts. you can actually do that. You're right. That's okay. The only, that's the only You've thwarted my plan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Move along. Yeah. Can you can you be loving when when there is can well, can you grow in love? Here's another way of asking: Can you grow in these spiritual fruit without being around others? Uh, no. Sometimes. Depending. <laughs> Most of the time, it takes someone else to frustrate you, so that you have to have patience and be gentle, kind, loving toward them, right? And express that, right? And grow in those things. Love this part of the spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is directly about our expression toward others, particularly how we love fellow believers. Uh, Jesus said that the world knows that we are his disciples if we have love for one another, John 13, 35. 
Scripture also teaches us that we are to love our neighbors, Matthew 22, 34-40, and our enemies. Right? Uh, what's the famous parable that the guy asks, well, who's my neighbor? Anybody know? The Good Samaritan, Good Samaritan right? The, the lawyer comes to Jesus and says, um, what I, basically, who is my neighbor? And he gives this whole parable about uh, the Samaritan, right? That meaning, meaning that even the guys that you hate are your neighbors, and you should love them. So the question has to be, how do we cultivate love? How do we cultivate love in this kind? We should do it in a way that Paul cultivated his love with others, meditating on the great love that we know as sinners that have been saved from the wrath of God by Christ. We should really memorize, guess what, Galatians 2.20. (laughs) And and that will help us grow in our love for other people. Why? Because if I have been crucified with Christ, and that's who you are if you're a Christian, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, so my desires, my passions, who I was, is gone. It's no longer I who live, they were buried in the grave, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Meditating on the love of God for us in Christ, if you go look at Romans 8, 38-39, should make our lives overflow in love toward the brothers and sisters in Christ. But also, it should grow us in our humility. Because I did nothing to deserve it, right? I was justified by faith, given to me by God, who also made my heart alive. He took out my heart of stone and he gave me a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36. There's, there, I couldn't do any of that. Indiana Jones, it was a, a great, you know, the, the Temple of Doom. And they're like sacrificing the guy and pulling the heart out. The guy's still alive. Yeah. Uh, no, see, that's not the picture in this case because that heart would be stony and dead. And God gave us a new heart. So, um, that new heart, that new life that we have, must be lived in light of what Christ has done, grow us in our humility, and then uh, giving ourselves for others, their good, and the glory of God. We also learn to love others when we have vested interest in their good. This is partially why we believe in covenant membership here um, at, at Southside, is because... What we're doing is we're covenanting together to love one another well. Okay? Not, not covenanting together to have a, have a standard of discipline. That's not the point. The point is so that we know how to love one another and we're in agreement about how we want to be loved together, individually and as a whole. Okay? And so covenant membership is not about um, this idea of Discipline, yes, it has that aspect, but it is has more to do with the love that we have for one another. We're joining with one another in God's mission together to grow each other, to help one another grow in our love for God and share the love of God with one another and the world. Covenant membership has it's the only way, in a, in a, in a real sense, to, um, to really carry out the one another's that are commanded of us, right? Uh, there are a lot of love, love one another's or one another's in Christ or in the, the New Testament. But it's impossible to do that if you don't know who one another is, 
or R, depending on how he said that. Um, so, we cultivate love together as a covenant family. Why do we use the word covenant, though? It's much like the reason why we use covenant for marriage. So, now, let me be honest. Uh, covenant membership is not a permanent fixture like marriage. So, um, we would hope that it would be permanent. Uh, we, would, we would hope that there is uh, a longevity to it that lasts uh, eternity. But it is not, we are not uh, thinking of the same way in an eternal sense when we're talking about covenant membership. Mostly because, if you think about it, we all have lives that take us in places. Um, sometimes we're transient by just our, the nature of our jobs. And so we spend a year or so in one place or three years in another or whatever. If you're in the military or we're in the military, that's what I did for most of my time in the military. I moved and I was transient. But the whole point of that is, is that while you are in a place that you covenant with God's church in that local body to glorify him together. And then when you depart, you go find another local body. Right? Not, not standing in the wind thinking that uh, I'm still good, I'm part of the universal church. No, the universal church's expression is in the local body. And love is most assuredly shown in that body. So, that is love. I am not going to go any further. And the reason why is because this is a long, I, we could be here for the rest of the day talking about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those are the first couple um, oh, we're all going to patience. So next week we're going to pick up with joy. Don't lose your, don't lose your uh, uh, paper. Are there any questions about love or any clarifications that everybody would, that somebody would like to give? I have a question on how do we help those brothers and sisters who only focus on love to focus on the rest of what God? Um. We might not have time for I'm, I'm going to be quick about that answer and say a lot of prayer for that person. Because one thing that people are using that is they're, they're, in some ways they're trying to use love as a crutch. Right? To say that they don't have to do the hard things. But Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 are still existence, guys. And so sin has to be called for what it is. And we have to be called to repent and believe in the gospel. And by the way, if you're not like doing that in your own life, like by yourself, which is really hard to do. You need other people around, covenant membership, uh, to help you grow in grace, right? Grow in the image of Christ Jesus. That love has to, there has to be a mutual movement here. But one way, and I think the only way that's going to happen is if we pray and we talk to them about the outflow of what that love looks like. Because love can't be just acceptance because that's kind of the, the move. What's up? Well, on that note, ask them what do they love and how do they love it. Make them define it. Yeah. And that leads you to a better conversation. Yep. Greg Kukul, I'm going to give you an apologetic guy. Greg Kukul, um, K-U-O-K-L. He wrote a book called Tactics. And it's an apologetic book, apologetic book, but it's, it's very simple. I really love it because it's one of the easiest things to do, which is say, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Number one move. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by love? And if you can't define what love is, if they can't define what love is, then you have a place to go. But then try to get them to see that they are, it's an incomplete definition. And if they have kids, like, well, is it loving to let them do whatever they want? 
Some people would say yes. <laughs> and, I know. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's, <laughs> careful. Instead than that one. Yeah. Well, how do you love your wife? How do you love your spouse? How do you love your friends? How do you love your team, your sports team? What's up, Jeff? You, you mentioned reading First John. It's got that chunk in the middle about loving your brother and everything. But on either side of that, it's about what love is in and what you shouldn't love. Yeah. Like there's, it's all there together. Yeah, if you say you have no sin, then the word of God is not in you, right? Like God himself has not saved you. If you say that you are perfect, then you are, the implication is that you are not saved. If you say that you're perfect in your love, then you are, again, you're your own standard. The Bible isn't. And so, like, First John is a beautiful text to kind of show us that. Um, had the privilege of, like, translating the whole thing from Greek to English in seminary. It was super helpful to see all of those intricacies, but guess what? The English does a really great job. It does a great job. You don't need Greek to understand what it's saying. And it does help, like, you know, like a, a real good undergirding of what's going on. But you don't need it. You just need to read it and meditate on it. So, any other questions, comments? Yeah. So, on the flip side of that, I know we're called to hate what is sin. And some people are very passionate about their hatred for sin and their lifestyle that is sin. Um, and so how can we encourage maybe them to uh, love them to where you see if they need Jesus, right? Um, can you speak to that at all? Quickly? Yeah. Uh, I think the best way to, to I mean, you got to start with prayer. I, I think, I don't, I, I, it sounds like a cop-out when I'm saying that, but I want you to understand that it's you, that you cannot change their mind. That the spirit of the living God is the only one that will change their heart and then change their mind. So prayer is automatically where you got to start. Um, and then after that, having conversations about um, about their lifestyle versus like you can use a whole host of them. But a lot of it has to do with like, hey, so tell, tell me about yourself and how you understand that you want to be loved in this case. And then compare that to what a life-giving love looks like. But a lot of it has to do with the conversation. It's long. This is not a quick thing. Like cultivating spiritual fruit is not a quick thing, even from Christians. Um, if you ask Rosaria Butterfield, she was saved as a lesbian uh, professor. Okay, And it took a couple years for her to understand that that, was, that had to be abominated, is her word. Right? It had to be pushed away. She had to be somebody else because now she's in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus asked something different of her life. And so she, it took a while. Um, but we, when we are entrenched in our sin, it is very hard to just come out right away. doesn't mean that you can't. doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. I mean, the Apostle Paul, three days, right? Uh, he's you know, going to the brethren. Yeah, and he says over and over, such were some of you. It's such a beautiful thing. That, you, that does not define you. Your sin cannot define you. Okay? I'm going to run out of time very quickly. I just I feel like when people are dealing with non-Christians living in their sin, we take too much responsibility on ourselves to do the work that God's going to do. And our yeah. job is to pray and then show up for them as best we can. Yep. We are to be the good neighbor. 
and God will sort them out one way or another. Yeah, and, the, and the, those those times of being good neighbors gives you the opportunities yeah. to preach, right? To, to bring the Bible. And if they're not hearing, that's all right. You still keep showing up. Yeah, it's not a conversion is not your job. Nope. <laughs> your job is to be faithful in the proclamation of the, the life giving news of the gospel. I think we heard a great sermon about it a few weeks ago. Yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. I think uh, years ago there was a book called Lifestyle Evangelism. Yep. And basically it was basically, and this is where Rosetta Butterfield even uses that with her conversion. It was not that she was a lesbian. Is their pastor, or her, who became her pastor, yeah. had a conversation, so they built a relationship. Yep. And it's almost easy, it's always easier. And um, didn't focus on what she was. Or what you could do. Yeah. We're going to pray. We're going to be done. It's 1021. Um, we only got through one through the Spirit, but we laid some good groundwork. We'll see how far we get next week. Father, we are grateful for your word and how rich it is, Lord. We pray that we would grow in our love for one another and for the world this week. That you would change the hearts of those that we come in contact with, uh, not because of how good we are, but because of how amazing you are how gracious you are, how merciful you are, slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love, Lord. You are good to the nth degree. And we are asking now, Lord, that you would empower us to be faithful in whatever you have brought, bring us to, Lord, to be loving and to um, exercise that love for the people that you have brought in our lives. We thank you. We love you. We, we ask that all these things would be true in Jesus' name. And that you would uh, empower us now to worship your name uh, with full hearts, full minds. And um, as we enter into this next moment of worship, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.